Hello, humans. Today we are going to be discussing theophany. Theophany is an appearance by God. Now that word theophany, much like the word trinity, is not found in the Bible. However, by the early 4th century AD, the term had uh, come to be used in reference to God. Eusebius, bishop of Caesarea at that time, he used the Greek term theophania in reference to God's appearances to people. Now the Greek word epiphania means to appear before, by, across, or over someone. That word epi means upon, on, at, by, before, across, or over. The word phino means to bring forth into light, to become evident, to come into view, or to appear. So Paul, Paul used the compounded word, which is epi plus phino, to be epiphania, to describe the second coming of Jesus when our Lord will make his appearance before us and over us. Why? Well, because it is written that when Jesus returns, he will be returning from the same place he was seen when he departed, which is from the clouds in the sky. Now, the word theos means God. Thus, when theos and phino, they are compounded, that new word, theophania, it means God comes into sight and makes an appearance before humans. Now, the Bible says in many places that God appeared. So, for example, Genesis 18.1 says that the Lord appeared to Abraham. Well, several other passages say that people saw God. Now, when Isaiah 6.1 says that Isaiah saw the Lord, Okay, or Abraham appeared, or Lord appeared before Abraham. It should be noted that appeared and saw, they usually reflect different forms. Is the same Hebrew verb, ra'ah. So, the Lord appeared, hence the person saw the Lord. Again, theophaniah means God comes into sight and makes an appearance before humans. Now, closely related to these appearances are statements describing God's presence and glory within a cloud and or fire, or that his presence came down upon the tent of meeting or filled the temple. Now, during the exodus of Israel from Egypt, it is written in Exodus 13.21, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night, to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And in Exodus 40, 34, it is written, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And God typically spoke to Moses from the tabernacle. Later, when the temple was dedicated... 1 Kings 8.10 says the cloud filled the house of the Lord. Now this cloud is associated with God's glory and where God says, two verses later, uh, he would dwell 
So later on, however, God forsakes the temple because of the sins of Israel. Hence, the cloud in God's glory departs. But throughout the Bible, the local presence of God is regularly indicated by the tabernacle and later by the temple, for this is the place where all the offerings are given to God and where people come before God. However, it is evident that an appearance by God, it does not limit God to one particular place. During the dedication of the temple prior to its destruction by the Babylonians, Solomon said in 1 Kings 8.27, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. In fact, God's omnipresence is described all throughout the Bible. God is everywhere, all the time. Now, one of the most obvious scenarios when theophany occurs in Scripture is showcased in a sighting after Christ's resurrection in Luke 24, 13 to 35. It's so important, I'm going to read that whole passage, and then we're going to talk about it. Verse 13, And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are those words that you are exchanging with one another as you were walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since all these things happened, but also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body. They came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb, found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. It's a powerful passage. Now, Jesus appeared and the two disciples saw him. Again, Theothaniah. It means God comes into sight, makes an appearance before humans. But what was their miraculous sign of confirmation? Jesus vanished. They no longer saw him. A mere man cannot do that. The two disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, who is God, and yet they did not recognize him until he blessed and broke bread with them. Now, before I address the often overlooked verse regarding revealed theophanies, let's pause for a moment so that I may address the critics' common objection regarding the disciples' inability to recognize the resurrected Jesus. If Jesus had the same physical body after his resurrection, why did his disciples not recognize him? That's a fair question. Well, Jesus did rise in the same body of flesh and bones in which he died, but there exist many possible reasons why his disciples might not have immediately recognized him. Now, the first and most obvious reason would be that of disfigurement. Isaiah 52:14 prophesied of the suffering servant that his appearance was marred more than any man. Thus, we can reasonably conclude that Jesus' physical body, including his face, was marred nearly beyond recognition due to the beatings, the scourging, and crucifixion by the Romans. In addition, we must remember that in John 20, verse 17, Jesus informed Mary Magdalene that he had not yet ascended to the Father, therefore he was still in his resurrected, albeit disfigured, body. However, many other reasons why the resurrected Jesus wasn't immediately recognized are described elsewhere. In John 20, verse 1, it is written that Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. Well, it's difficult to identify details in darkness, right? In verses 11 to 15, it is written that Mary was weeping. Therefore, tears in her eyes most likely caused blurry vision. And in verse 16, it is written, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. But if Mary turned, that means she had been facing the wrong direction and therefore not looking directly at Jesus, which would explain why she did not immediately identify Jesus. But overall, Mary was in the darkness of early morning, tears in her eyes, and she wasn't even facing the right direction. So that's Mary. In John 20, verse 25, Thomas, possessing disbelief due to Jesus' confirmed death, said, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. And yet, in verses 26 to 27, it is written that Jesus appeared in the room with Thomas eight days later, even though the door had been locked, and he had Thomas feel the holes in his body. Therefore, we know that Jesus chose to keep his scars even though his body had been healed enough to function properly. And because Jesus kept his scars, it's reasonable to assume that his marred appearance probably kept some people in doubt. However, in verse 28, in response to feeling the holes in Jesus's body, Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Now in John chapter 21, verse four, it is written, But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. But why not? Well, just four verses later, in verse 8, it is written, They were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away. Well, it may not be that far, but 100 yards? At such a distance, it's not possible to accurately identify a person's facial features. In addition, we simply don't know if Jesus had been wearing an outer cloak, which may have further covered, concealed his face, especially in shadows. But what we do know is that the apostles recognized Jesus by his words and deeds. Again, in John chapter 21, this is verses 5 to 7. John recognized Jesus even from a hundred yards away because Jesus had called attention to the fact that they had not caught any fish, then directed them to cast their net on the other side of the boat, which resulted in a massive catch. Now, why is that significant? Because Jesus had done the exact same thing when he first called them to follow him. We see that in Luke 5, 4-6. Likewise, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus recognized Jesus when he blessed and broke bread with them. Why is that significant? Listen, not only did Jesus bless and break bread with his apostles during the Last Supper, but Jesus also did the same when he fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. It is written in Matthew 14, 19, he took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, He gave them to his disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds. Everybody ate. They were satisfied. They had baskets left over. So they recognized this. In conclusion to that, the perceived problem of Jesus not being immediately recognized was always temporary. And the appearances always concluded with the witnesses being absolutely convinced that it was the same Jesus in his resurrected, albeit disfigured, body. Now, returning to the topic of revealed theophanies. Road to Emmaus. Luke 24, 27 states that beginning with Moses, with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. But what are those things that the Tanakh, the Old Testament, reveals about Jesus? Well, despite previously mentioned examples of theophanies, some biblical passages seem to state that people cannot see God. Well, you'll have to watch my other video where I explain that in great detail. Contradiction. No one has seen God? 
But suffice it to say that the passages stating that no one can see God, they all refer to the true spirit essence of God, not the theophanies. Now, one of the examples from the Old Testament that Jesus most likely explained to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus is found in Exodus 33:18, when Moses asked God to show him God's glory. And then God allowed Moses to see his backside in verse 23. But whose backside did Moses see if God is spirit and no one can see God as spirit? Well, I believe it is evident. Moses saw the backside of Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now, how do I know? Because in Exodus 33, 21, Moses was told by God to stand on the rock. And who is the rock? Jesus Christ is the rock. Moreover, the Son brings glory to the Father, and the Father glorifies the Son. It is written. Now, for this reason, it is written in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, when it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that word dwelt, it literally means tabernacled. Now, this word of God is the same word who created all things in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning and so is genuinely God. For this reason, Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 15-17, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Also, for this same reason, Hebrews 1.3, speaking about the Son, says, He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Therefore, Moses saw the Father's glory, who is the Son, Jesus Christ. However, it is extremely significant that Moses only saw the backside of Christ, because the Lord already had in mind to turn his back on the old covenant of the sacrificial system through the Mosaic Law in order to put his face toward the new covenant of faith in Christ, who is the full final sacrifice. Listen, for this reason, it is written that as soon as the law had been given to Moses, the law had been immediately broken and shattered. Thus, all people who strive to enter the kingdom by their own merits through the law, even though they cannot fully obey the law, will not be able to enter. Now, for this reason, it is written that the law and its 
continual temporary sacrifices were only a mere shadow of the good to come. But God does not always appear in the same form within Theophanies. In Genesis 16, 7-13, Hagar encounters the angel of the Lord, and yet this angel possesses the power and authority to promise, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Well, Hagar's response recorded in verse 13 says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? So how is the angel of the Lord able to take ownership and promise something that only God can do and receive glory that only God should receive? Why would Hagar call an angel a God who sees? And is this not a similar situation as when the Lord, God, Yahweh, promised Abraham in Genesis 15:5 that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky? In Genesis 32, verses 24 to 32, Jacob wrestles with a man, and yet this man possesses the power to dislocate Jacob's hip. In verse 28, the man possesses the authority to say, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And in verse 29, the God-man declines to share his name, but then blesses Israel. And in response, Israel proclaims, in 32:30 I have seen God face to face yet my life has been preserved and then he names that location Peniel which means the face of God but how can a mere man possess the authority to change Jacob's name to Israel and why would Israel call a man God and is it not similar to when the Lord, God, Yahweh, changed Abram's name to Abraham in Genesis 17:5. Hmm. However, is it not written in Isaiah 42:8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And is it not also written that Scripture cannot be broken? God's word stands forever and that his word will accomplish his desires and succeed in the matter for which he sent it. So how then is it possible for a man or an angel of the Lord to receive God's glory unless the man and angel of the Lord are God? After all, Is it not written that angels refuse to accept worship and refuse to usurp the power and glory and authority of God? So, who then is the angel of the Lord? Here's where we come to something really interesting. In Exodus 3, 2-6, it is written that the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. 
And then Moses took notice. And it is written in verses 4 to 6, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Therefore, the angel of the Lord is the Lord God, Yahweh. Like it or not, that's what scripture says. Now examine, examine Judges chapter 13, verses 2 to 22. In verse 3, the angel of the Lord promises Manoah's barren wife that she was going to conceive and give birth to a son. In verse 6, the woman came and told her husband, and she said, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. In verses 10 to 11, the angel is described as being in the appearance of a man. In verse 17, Manoah asked for the name of the man, but in verse 18, the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And finally, in verses 20 to 22, it is written, For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. Now, when the angel of the Lord promised Manoah's barren wife that she was going to conceive, give birth to a son, was it not similar to when the Lord promised Sarah in Genesis 18.10 that she would conceive and give birth? And when the awesome angel man declared that his name was wonderful, is it not similar to what is written about our Lord Jesus in Revelation 19.12 and that he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself? In fact, that word that is translated as wonderful is the Hebrew word peli, which means wondrous, remarkable, or, or even incomprehensible. This same word is seen when David marveled over, over God's omniscience in Psalm 139, verse 6. And David said, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And finally, is Manoah's encounter not similar to Jacob's encounter when he declared in Genesis 32 that he saw God even though they both encountered a man? So who is this God-man? Ezekiel 1, 26-28 describes a figure with the appearance of a man who possessed the radiance like that of a rainbow and the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. 
In Daniel 3.25, Nebuchadnezzar, describing the miraculous and awesome theophany he witnessed in the fire of the furnace, he said, The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Psalm 47.8 says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Well, why then does Jesus say that he, the Son of Man, will be sitting on the throne? Why does John describe God sitting on the throne in Revelation? And yet the one sitting on the throne matches the description of what Ezekiel said in 1, 26-28 of a figure with the appearance of a man with a rainbow around him. And why is the one on the throne also called the Lion of Judah, Root of David, and the Lamb, even though Jesus is the Lion, Root, and Lamb? Therefore, it seems evident to me that the man whom Jacob and Manoah encountered is the angel of the Lord, who is also God on the throne, this God-man. In other passages, uh, God is locally present and speaks, yet without explicitly appearing, which might also be classified as a theophany. But listen, finally... One of my favorite scenarios showcasing theophany, which many would differentiate and classify between theophany and uh, Christophany, whatever. It's all Jesus to me. Um, Genesis chapters 18 through 19. Genesis 18 to 19. So in Genesis 18, verse 1, the Lord, which is God, Yahweh, appeared to Abraham. But what was the appearance of the Lord? Well, in verse 2, it is written that Abraham saw three men. So the Lord showed up, but he saw three men? In verse 10, one of the men promised that the same time of the following year, Sarah would conceive and have a son. Now, in the distance, Sarah laughed because she believed herself to be too old to have children. And being omniscient, the one of them, as the Lord, said, Why did she laugh? She denied it. But in verse 13, the Lord, God, Yahweh, being omniscient, knew she laughed, called her out on that lie. Now in verse 14, the Lord, God, Yahweh, promises that he will return at the appointed time the following year. And in verse 17, the Lord God, Yahweh, said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And then what happens in verses 20 to 22, this is chapter 18. What happens in 20 to 22 contains extremely important details of this theophany. It says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. 
Okay. And then from verses 23 to 32, Abraham attempts to intercede on behalf of anyone who might be righteous so that they might be saved. And the Lord God, Yahweh, concludes by assuring Abraham that even for the sake of ten righteous people, he would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then chapter 18 in verse 33 ends by saying, As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. However, chapter 19, verse 1, begins by saying, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Then in verse 11, it states that the two men who were angels possessed the power to strike the wicked men of Sodom with blindness. And in 13, the two angels say, We are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Okay, so let's review the logic of this theophany as stated by Scripture, which cannot be broken. The Lord appeared to Abraham, yet Abraham saw three men. But one of the men spoke as the Lord. The one who spoke as the Lord remained with Abraham as the other two men went to Sodom. But the two men who went to Sodom were angels. The two angels said they were sent by the Lord from whom they had just departed, who is still with Abraham. Therefore, the one who remained with Abraham and then departed from Abraham is the Lord, even though he appeared in the form of a man. So, if we examine all inspired scriptures together, because scripture interprets scripture, what is the logical conclusion of this God-man? Now, I believe the identity of this God-man is exactly as Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 27, which states that the beginning with Moses... And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So, in conclusion, the New Testament is the continuation and final fulfillment of the Old Testament. Therefore, Christianity is the continuation and final fulfillment of Judaism. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus is God who tabernacled in a temple not made by human hands. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And unless your faith is in the finished sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, there can be no atonement for your sins and you will die in your sins. There is no other way. Jesus is the truth and his word is truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you reject the full and final sacrifice of Christ on the cross, you will reject your only means of salvation and entrance into the kingdom. For when Christ returns as King of kings, he is going to be searching all people for his holy treasure within earthly vessels. That is, all people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. 
when he returns, if he finds the vessel empty, that vessel will be shattered with his rod of iron. Therefore, repent, for that day is coming soon. And it is so easy to accept the good news. All the work has been done for you. That's why it says we are not saved by our works. We are saved by God's grace through our faith. It's not anything that we've done, and there is no room to boast. It's good news because God loved us so much that he sent his only son Repent, believe, live.